So now I will ask uh, our, my friend and partner, Terence Zhao of Shanghai Marine Services, who is a co-organizer of the event today. Please come uh, to take over. Uh, please take uh, your seats, the panelists. I'd like to thank, uh, uh, besides Terence uh, and Columbia Ship Management, of course, I'd like to, I'd like to thank Mr. Cam, who has been instrumental uh, helping us uh, with our um, Singapore presence. And uh, I'd like to thank uh, Bank T as well for, uh, for the MPA for giving us a vote of confidence and allowance to be part of the schedule this week. So thank you very much. Um, and um, Terence, please take over. You have, have put together a great panel. Uh, Good morning, corporate leaders, CEOs. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, a very good morning to all of you. I'm Terence, coming from uh, Singapore Marine Services. It is a great uh, honor for me to uh, be the moderator for this panel discussion, talking about Singapore as an international maritime hub, how partnership and close cooperation among government, unions, shipping companies could move Singapore shipping industry forward. I think it is a very appropriate time to discuss Singapore's role in private and public partnership in Singapore shipping industry. As a business model, private and public partner in Singapore maritime industry is not new. In fact, it a sense of Singapore's past, hopefully the road to the future. So next year will be Singapore's 200th anniversary of its foundings by Sir Raffles. Recall that Sir Stanford Raffles worked for the English East India Company. The private and public relationship between the English government and the maritime industry, which the history has been shown, is the foundation of the English foundation, uh, English empire. Of course, now, though the English empire has gone, but what we can see this kind of partnership is evident all around us in Singapore. So will this kind of partnership will create another renaissance. So today we are very honored to have five distinguished panelists. They will share with us their insights on the topics. Please allow me to introduce uh, my panelists. First, Mr. Stephen Cotton, General Manager of the International Transport Workers Federation, ITF. It's an international federation of transport workers trade unions. Under Stephen's leadership, the number of flags of convenience ships covered by ITF approved collective agreements increased from 2,000 to more than 12,000. 
The ITF inspector reach expanded from 35 to a total of 124 inspectors worldwide. And the ITF won a remarkable advance for the protection of seafarers' rights when the MRC signed in 2006. Next, uh, Mr. Yan Xiankai, the group CEO and chairman, BRC Group. BRC Group is a well-diversified group covering wide range of shipping business from ship booking, ship chartering, ship owning, freight forwarding, ship agency, ship bunkering, and community trading. Ms. Tian, also a visiting professor of Shanghai Maritime University. Next, Mr. Shashishi Yi McTorman, the CEO, Meklin Express Offshore. Meklin Express Offshore is a reputed and reliable provider of support vessels and project transportation solutions to the offshore oil and gas industry and operates more than 140 vessels of various types. Next is a Ms. Tan Ben Di, Assistant Chief Executive in De Development, Maritime Port Authority of Singapore. Maritime Port Authority of Singapore is a main driving force behind Singapore's port and maritime development, taking on the role of port authority, port regulator, port planner, IMC champion, and the national maritime representative. Last but not least, Ms. Lisa Tu, Executive Director in Corporate Development, Pacific International Lines. PIL is one of the largest local ship owners and the leading local shipping container liner services and multi-purpose services at over 500 locations in 100 countries and employs about 18,000 employees worldwide. All the information I got from your website, I hope is correct, it's updated. Thank you. Okay, now I think it's our time to begin the panel discussion. Uh, first, I would like to uh, ask uh, Ms. Damban T uh, from uh, MPA for the first question. So we know that MPA is the main driving force behind Singapore's International Maritime Center status. We are also aware that you formed a very high level IMC 2030 Advisory Committee in August 2016 to undertake a strategic review and chart a development strategy to take Singapore's IMC to 2030 and beyond. Bente, uh, maybe you could share with us the key strategies developed by the IMC 2030 Advisory Committee for Singapore to tackle challenges and leverage opportunities in this fast-changing environment. Yes. 
All right. Um, I think what I would like to do is to give a, a very short background on, on Singapore's uh, development of an international maritime centre. We started off really in uh, taking a concerted effort in 2003, where the Economic Review Committee um, suggested that Singapore should look beyond growing a global hub port, but to also grow the International Maritime Centre to reinforce uh, our hub port status. Then the plan was actually to grow Singapore into an international maritime centre. So we, we did that, uh, and that strategy has served us well. Uh, however, uh, in 2016, uh, when we actually look at the industry again, we felt that um, the industry has actually gone through uh, many changes, uh, which means that the strategy that we have um, in the past may not necessarily serve us going forward because some of the business models within the industry has changed. Technology has come uh, about. And um, if we just continue to um, make use of what we have today, then we think that we may not be entirely relevant to the community going forward. So the IMC uh, 2016 committee was formed. Uh, to look at what Singapore should do going forward. Um, we've, we felt that uh, we need to really differentiate ourselves and to really create value uh, for the companies that trusted us and to put their business in Singapore. And hence, in the IMC uh, recommendations, uh, recommendations, five strategies were proposed. One is to continue to deepen and expand the maritime cluster um, so that um, the people within the industry can then actually network with one another. Secondly, is to strengthen interlinkages uh, across clusters. So, for example, the panel before us, I mean, they are great, you know, they are the cargo owners which, are, which are shipping companies would like to have. So, if we are able to strengthen interlinkages and to build a platform, then we could actually create much more value and we could create much more networks for the companies. The third is, um, given the technological, technological changes that have come about, uh, and the pace of technological changes is actually much faster than what we've seen before. So uh, the third strategy is really to look at growing Singapore into an innovative uh, maritime hub and to look at digitalization. I think there's been a lot, lot of talks about digitalization, but um, if we actually look at what, how shipping companies respond to a downturn, invariably it's always cutting costs, cutting manpower, and cutting uh, office renter, etc. But you will come to a point when you cannot cut manpower further, and uh, there's a need to look at processes. So the question is, how can you actually look at processes to bring about efficiency and then in the process, cost savings? The fourth strategy that we are looking at is really the people that we have. How do you actually equip a multi-skilled task force with a global mindset, taking into consideration that shipping is a global business? And the fifth strategy that we have is really to try to make Singapore as a, a global standards barrier, you know, so in, in things that we can do, so like in bunkering, you know, you came up with a mass flow meter. So in areas that we can do, we should actually uh, go forward and, and, and some set some standards. So the net uh, result that we actually uh, did for the uh, IMC 2030 um, is to come up with a vision uh, that Singapore wants to be a global maritime hub for connectivity, innovation, and talent. Because uh, only if we can actually define what we want, then we can actually come up with action plans to bring the industry forward. Thanks, Terence. Thank you very much for your elaboration, uh, Binti. It's a very uh, ambitious and uh, beautiful picture. Uh, Steve, thank you very much for your 
coming all the way from, uh, from London. Uh, so at least we heard that uh, uh, the concept of ITF supply and logistics is to bring together the workers who deliver goods and cargoes across the world with the aim of improving working conditions for all workers along the aeronautical supply chain. One of the global initiatives implemented by ITF is the ITF Industrial Hubs Program. It connects workers who are part of your, the, the same supply chain to protect the rights of all ordinary workers everywhere. Uh, could ITF Industrial Hubs Program uh, actually, can actually do something in Singapore, in your opinion? How do you think Singapore, as a major hub for the global shipping industry, could further contribute to the ITF supply chain and logistics and ITF Industrial Hub pro pro Program? Can you share with us? Thank you, Terence. Um, I feel a bit like I'm the not the venture capital capitalist here, but the uh, investor in human capital. So it's quite an interesting room for us to engage with in this conversation. So for us in the ITF, um, we're active in all of the transport modes, but um, we're probably best known for our activities in the maritime sector. But I wanted to talk a little about three key things. One is Singapore and its tripartism. The second is digitalization, future of work, and, and what does it what does it mean for workers? And the third is really Singapore as a gateway to the region. So for us, um, we've been around sort of all of that period. Uh, we have a long history of ITF affiliates. We have SMOU in the room, there's the officers union, SOS in the room, the ratings union, and they've perhaps been some of the most progressive ITF affiliates. And uh, when we look at the transition of Singapore, which is nothing less than a sort of economic miracle in a world when we just heard from the charters, which I would hope to build greater relationships of all the shipping charters in the room. The reality is Singapore has been a, a, a marvellous place for profit growth, but also for the equitable share of salaries and opportunities for all the workers. And we identify that in the fact that not only does Singapore talk about tripartism, it actually goes and delivers it. And it delivers it beyond the businesses in this room, but in the international human, human rights sector, ILO, they have a leadership position, and they're so progressive. If you look at their, and I have to make sure I get the te terminology right, um, their planning, and we're talking now, should I, ITMs should be kind of common knowledge to everyone in this room, but in reality, industry transformation maps, it sounds very Sing Singaporean in terminology, but actually it's a platform for a better future for all of the stakeholders. And so for us, Singapore is a crucial hub. But we think we should look a little bit more than just at the shipping element. We have an excellent relationship with the MPA, but also we think we should be looking at logistics and freight forwarding companies, because that's the next part of the chain. And we're in, in the process of doing cooperation agreements with DHL, and hopefully tomorrow we'll sign an agreement on best practice with Toll, uh, the new merged company with Japanese Post uh, as a freight forwarding company. But also in the conversations we have with the unionists and also the different ministries, Singapore is looking at what does the future of work mean 
not just for industry, so how to make sure you want to do business here. Um, we recently opened an office here too. But how do we influence and shape what is the future of work? Now, in reality for us in the ITF, we, be we believe that, of course, digitalization and automation will change jobs as we know it, but we also believe that the human element has to play an active part. So we're in conversations here with the government, and hopefully we'll be setting up a, a study, but also with the World Economic Forum, about how do human beings govern that transition. And in reality, sometimes, and I'm, you know, I've been in the shipping industry a long time, and I've got lots of historical relationships, but sometimes we get a little bit caught up in the sector. It's also crucial that we look at what's happening the whole way along the supply chain. When we heard about the different companies in here, and really there are very many reputable good shipping companies and, and maritime players, there are still a number of elements in the global supply chain that don't look after their workers, don't provide minimum standards. And the conversation about why be in Singapore is because you want a platform to have the best opportunity to do the best possible job with your judgment, whether you read the market, whether you place contracts, whether you, whether you give workers a new opportunity. So for us, the work, we've worked very closely in the past with MPA and we will continue because in kind of, I'm trying to be quick, it's very difficult for a trade union official, um, the, the future in Southeast Asia. We identify in the ITF, we have four strategic areas where we want to go forward. One is aviation, uh, one is the future of technology, the other um, is having influence on the future regulation about work, so that's for us IMO, we're just about to open an office in Montreal to deal with ICAO, which is a regulatory body for aviation. But the, third, the fourth one, which is most crucial, is that we've looked at the world's uh, transportation research and we recognise that Asia-Pacific has got the biggest potential for growth and we believe we have offices in Delhi, here, Tokyo, Sydney. We believe here is the best platform to influence together in cooperation with the major players. We're the only global union federation, which means trade union group, that has a direct relationship with the ACFTU, the Chinese, and we are working with them on the One Belt, One Road model about how to improve union service. Um, and our objective is to recognise that this region um, still has the biggest potential for growth. But we really believe, in closing, um, that the way to do that is by third-party cooperation. In dialogue, in cooperation, understanding that our job when we sign cooperation agreements, or it could be shipping agreements, is to make sure we try to cover as much of the market as possible. So that in the end, the skill of the professionalism of the corporations will decide whether you're successful, not the ability of the union muscle to convince you in a way forward. I hope that was not too long. Terence did it's tell me not to be too long. So, thank you for your sharing, Steve. So, like we can see ITF also is in the transforming. So, very happy to hear that you will have uh, your Singapore place, right? So, may you share with us what is the main function of your Singapore place here? So, um, the, I the ITF's responsibility is to grow, grow its membership and we basically are an affiliate-led organisation. And since I became General Secretary four years ago, the objective is to have campaigns that improve the situation for workers, but are also recognise that the industry standards are absolutely crucial. So Singapore will be establishing a position 
to help the surrounding Southeast and Asian countries build capacity, whether it be along the supply chain, whether it be in aviation, or, or in reality, and we're looking at Indonesia at the moment, you know, looking at how we can help support unions understand the commercial realities, but also build their capacity to be genuine counterparts or social partners, to use a European phrase, when it comes to delivering uh, outcomes. So we're, we're very optimistic that this office will be leading. Um, we're very proud of the relationship we have with the unions here, but also with the government, and we have um, an understanding that perhaps we can do some research in the future here that will help use their research institutions to help us map some of the developments in the region. Thank you, Skiff. Uh, Lisa, we know uh, PIO now uh, our own outreach is about uh, 158 modern ships, of course with a more new build online. Uh, we also understand uh, PIL has also diversified into logistics related activities such as supply chain management, uh, consolidation distribution facilities, warehousing, multimodal services, container depot terminal operations. Uh, as a very, uh, very successful local shipping company, Lisa, uh, could you please share with us your experience and observation that how does Singapore serve as a gateway for business not only to the regional, but also to the global market. So what are advantages for private sector business to operate out of Singapore? Why an international business attracted to Singapore? Okay, um, as a country, uh, Singapore government um, has always been very supportive of the local companies um, looking to tap um, the overseas market. Um, Singapore being a small country, uh, we cannot look inwards. Uh, we have to look um, outside for opportunities. So the government has for many years um, adopted an uh, open and free trade environment to attract uh, foreign investment into Singapore. So um, I think uh, Singapore in, in, in general is, is um, very open and uh, invites a lot of foreign investment. In fact, just now the um, earlier panel also mentioned that Singapore is the largest commodity trading hub in the region, right? Yeah. Um, I think the other point I would like to touch on is um, Singapore being an IMC uh, also provide us um, a comp competitive um, edge to serve as a gateway for the business. And uh, with the government now working on the uh, IMC 2030, um, just now Bengti mentioned we will have connectivity, we will have technology, uh, we will also have a future-ready uh, workforce. So um, I, I think we will probably have, have the best, uh, uh, best of both worlds here, yeah. Okay, thank you very much, Rashi, I actually would like to ask you two questions. So, actually, you as, as the CEO of MNC uh, headquartered in uh, Singapore, could you please share with us your experience and observation on what are the main areas of the transformation, challenge, opportunity for Singapore? What is the objective looking a few years ahead 
and what is the plan of action to get this realized. So what programs are in place for training and improvement of the human element? Thank you. 55 years ago, Dr. King spoke four words which shook America. I have a dream, he said. What I'm going to say I'm, is not going to shake anything, but I too have a dream, and that is that in the next 10 to 15 years, Singapore is not just an international maritime hub, but the international maritime hub. There is a lot of work. You have to ask the question, what does it take to become the maritime hub of the world? And generally speaking, it's four things. It's knowledge or expertise. It's the appropriate infrastructure or ecosystem. It's the right people or talent. And it is adequate money or capital. As we have discussed just now, the infrastructure, the ecosystem here is amazing. The Singapore government is uh, tremendously helpful, supportive, uh, and has built a, a built a sort of ecosystem that uh, is absolutely conducive to any and every company coming here and growing and developing and succeeding. What is it that we, as a community, need to do in the other three areas? The first is we need to actually take what is available and inform ourselves about it. But four months ago, the Singapore government uh, laid out something called the Sea Transport uh, Industry Transformation Map. If I actually ask this question as to how many of you in this room has actually read that, it would be quite embarrassing. And one of the things we need to do is actually understand what this transformation map is, what it lays out, what paths there are, and how we can engage with it. That leads to the second one, which is engagement. And this is another area where we as a community need to do a lot more rather than live in the silos we are currently doing. We need to engage amongst ourselves. We need to engage uh, with uh, other aspects of the community. And most importantly, we need to en engage with education and academia. Uh, I have been part of a, an, an initiative which speaks to uh, youngsters in schools and uh, uh, polytechnics about uh, the offshore and maritime world. And I've spoken to about 35 of them in the last two years. The knowledge, the information they have about our industry is abysmally low. Most of them don't know. Uh, anything about our industry, and if they do, they know a very, a very superficial amount. They don't know the kind of jobs they can get, the, you know, the variety of careers that there are. The third, fourth, and the third and fourth are actually longer-term issues. The third is education, and we need to actually revamp our education system. Uh, currently, we are following something that was set up almost 900 years ago, where all education is given as one information dump in the first 12 to 16 years of a human's life, and there is nothing thereafter, and that has to change. We are no more, no more is that going to be possible because every year we need to learn something new, 
and there again the Singapore government is doing an amazing job in terms of upskilling but uh, the skills future credits at least in my company three people out of 400 have used it so this is this is an area where we as a community need to spend a lot more time in ensuring that education and industry come closer together work together to develop talent that is suitable for prepared for and ready for tomorrow the last is investment or capital one of the things which singapore lacks is dedicated maritime slash shipping slash offshore banks currently we have traditional consumer banks also participating. One of the things we should be doing is actually carve out the debt books, and this is actually not my idea, this is something mooted to me by a friend, Vijay, and carve out the debt uh, books from these banks and form a focused, dedicated shipping and offshore bank which recognizes and understands the industry and supports it uh, in terms of capital, in terms of funding, uh, and in terms of building for the future. Overlaid on all these four areas is technology, and I don't need to uh, speak about it, uh, but the fact is that in this room we know little, we know too little. There are things happening faster than we can imagine. There are things happening much more disruptively than we can imagine. And I think all these areas are where we as a community need to come together and join hands, work together to ensure that this dream of Singapore being an international and the international maritime hub is realized in the next 10 years. Thank you. Thank you very much, Shashi. Thanks for sharing. Uh, uh, Mr. Yen, Chris, uh, from the perspective of well diverse group covering a wide range of shipping business, uh, so do you think Singapore as an international maritime hub has implemented sufficient initiatives to sustain success? If yes, what initiatives has been particularly useful for you? If not, what could be done? Thank you, Mr. Dolly. Uh, I this is my limited experience uh, with MPA and government. I think uh, uh, the government have done an excellent job. And uh, the platform is there. How we can do our own business well, it depends on ourselves. Whether independent organizations, societies, private factors, I think we need participate and cultivate the uh, maritime ecosystem. And to come here, I, I also share uh, we, we, we just uh, tried a new project called uh, Unimax, Universal Maritime Elite Exchange. Uh, it's uh, a kind of project uh, to approach uh, in Universal Maritime alumni uh, to build the world's largest um, partnership uh, to benefit and to create value and share value among this system. Okay, thank you, Mr. Yan. Very short, right? Your Unimax is supposed to be very big. Yes? Okay, I thought that since um, uh, my fellow panelists has mentioned about the industry transformation map um, that uh, we are actually doing, 
uh, it's actually good for me to just share with you some background leading to the industry transformation map and what is within the industry transformation map. So basically, it started with the Committee for Future Economy that was chaired by my Minister for Finance, uh, Minister Hing Sui Kiet. At that time, uh, we were then, as a country, looking at um, the transformations that are cutting across all industries. So many of you are aware you know, about the retail uh, uh, shops you know, that are with e-commerce, there's actually less demand for um, store space. And then uh, with um, Airbnb going to hospitality business, you actually open up a whole new world of uh, hotel rooms. So in, in a way, there's a new business model that has come about, and there's also a structure to the existing incumbents. And then you've got uh, Grab and Uber going into the stronghold of, of the public transport uh, sector. So we ask ourselves the question, what is going to change that we must get ready? Uh, and hence, we, uh, one of the recommendations is that uh, Singapore should actually look at um, um, identifying what are some of these uh, industry transformation that will come about. And hence, 23 sectors were identified to map out uh, the plans for the various uh, industry transformation. 23 sectors were identified, and maritime is one of the 23 sectors. So we recently launched the Sea Transport uh, ITM on 12th of January. Uh, I'm going to keep uh, much of the details uh, for my speech at Trade Winds, you know, otherwise I've got nothing much to say. Uh, but very broadly, uh, under this uh, industry transformation map, there are four pillars that we are looking at. And these four pillars will run concurrently across all the 23 sectors. The first pillar is about uh, innovation. Um, and innovation does not actually just mean technology, but innovation actually means the approach that you actually take uh, to look at your processes. So first pillar is on uh, innovation. Um, second pillar is actually on productivity. So as I said earlier, when it comes to cost, uh, cost cutting, we will always cut manpower. But perhaps that is not the only way to do it. But there's actually to, uh, a need to look at processes. And for shipping, which is a very traditional industry, the processes has been in place and serve us well for many years. So then the, the, the normal uh, reaction is that if, if things are serving us well, then why should we actually change? But you, you need to change because um, some of these processes may be redundant or you can actually adopt artificial intelligence to look at uh, robotics software for repetitive work and then free up the bandwidth for some of your staff to do uh, other value-added work. The third is about people, because uh, people is naturally our biggest asset and most competitive assets that we have. So there's actually a need to train the people for the skills that will be required in, in, in the coming years, because we don't want to also say about the future, because how do you define what skills are required in the future? It must be something that is evolving. So when you actually look at the environment and, and you look at things that are happening, big data, you know, all the uh, data sensing, uh, the amount of valuable information that is residing in each of the company, how do you extract and create value from that data that you have within the company? And if you want to do that, then are your people equipped with the skills to do, to do it? If not, then there's actually a need to train the people. And if shipping wants to continue to get its fair share of talent into the industry, then in terms of your HR practices, in terms of career development, they must be as good as the banks, you know, or they must be good, as good as the IT companies, which many of the young ones are actually uh, moving towards. 
And then uh, the last uh, pillar that we are actually looking at is on internationalization, helping Singapore-based companies to actually go overseas. So that's in a nutshell, the industry transformation map that all of us are, are moving towards. And each of the sector do have targets. And, and that's why we need to work in collaboration with the private sector as well as the uh, unions. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bente. Uh, at least we do have a very foresighted government, as always. Uh, okay, now we still have some time. So, any questions uh, from the floor? Yes, one Well, I applaud the Singapore government for being uh, looking in the future. Uh, very uh, grateful that they did a good job in uh, forecasting what are the plans uh, to do uh, in attaining IMC 2030. But I have just two questions, uh, two challenges that I was just thinking uh, to ask MPA is that uh, have they considered the opening of the Kra Canal? How would that impact Singapore as a port? And the second uh, challenge is actually Singapore is missed out in the Maritime Silk Road. Um, what would MPA uh, plans to get uh, uh, Singapore back as a IMC hub? Okay, I'll, uh, difficult questions, but I'll try. Um, well, the first is about uh, alternative trade routes, uh, and and uh, Kra Canal is not the only alternative trade route. Uh, that has um, emerged uh, over the past uh, decades. Uh, and it is inevitable that there will be alternative uh, trade routes uh, that, will that will be created. So the challenge for us is how do we make ourselves uh, much more uh, relevant, uh, taking into consideration uh, what is happening uh, within the industry. So for example, ships are getting bigger. Uh, and when ships get uh, bigger, um, it would mean that Singapore as a hub port uh, would remain relevant because uh, then there's actually a need to do transshipment. Um, so the challenge uh, for us is that how do we actually serve the needs of the shipping companies more effectively? Uh, what is it that the shipping companies would need? Uh, for the biggest shipping companies, of course, then one of the uh, things that they would want to know is certainty in terms of uh, port infrastructure, whether you'll be able to handle my ships when they call at the port. Uh, and then for the feeder companies, of course, is about uh, the cost of operations uh, in Singapore and also about the whole uh, e uh, ecosystem. Uh, and hence, uh, our long-term plan uh, for Singapore's port is that eventually we will move all the container terminals to Tuas port. Uh, Tuas port will be a much more automated port uh, because uh, the planning parameters of Tuas port is to be able to handle up to 65 million TU of container throughput. Last year, we did about 33.6 uh, million TU. And hence, if you are going to double the, the capacity, then it means that in terms of the way and our approach uh, to the port, it must be a much more automated port and it must be a much more intelligent port. So uh, we are also doing the exercise whereby we are trying to emphasize what would the ports of the future uh, be like? What is it that they would demand? Uh, shipping companies would like to have uh, just-in-time uh, uh, for their ships uh, calling at the port. So can we actually look at a maritime data hub 
uh, to look at some of uh, these issues. Uh, so um, essentially what we are going to do is to create value for the companies to be in Singapore. There will be some of the cargoes that will bypass uh, Singapore and that is inevitable. So beyond the fiscal infrastructure, we are actually looking at what we call connectivity. Connectivity taken in is a very broad sense. It's not just about physical connectivity, it's about information connectivity and it's about financial connectivity. And if you are able to actually secure information uh, connectivity as well as uh, financial connectivity out of Singapore, in a way we also create uh, new business opportunities and much more value for companies uh, calling at uh, uh, using Singapore as a base or for shipping companies calling at Singapore. Um, then the question on BRI, uh, I would want to think and I, I, I'm quite positive that we are back into the uh, BRI, we are part of the BRI um, and uh, the, the approach to BRI of, uh, of course is uh, one, is as Lisa has pointed out, to help Singapore companies uh, to go overseas because uh, when Singapore companies go overseas, so uh, Lisa's company has very strong links in China and they are part of the BRI and because PIL is uh, headquartered in Singapore, it also means that uh, their dividend flows will come back to Singapore and the business transaction will actually originate, uh, decisions will originate from Singapore. So that's the way of plugging into the BRI. It need not necessarily just be fiscal infrastructure for which PSAI, PSA International do have uh, investments overseas, but it's also about information flow as well as uh, financial flow. Thank you. Thank you, Bainti. Thank you, Captain Leok, uh, to give us a uh, uh, such a big topic. I believe our team uh, performed very well. Thumbs up. Uh, I hope <laughs> let's work together to make Singapore as a better home port for every of us. Thank you very much. Thank you.